Hi, I'm Dan from Desert Island X, currently recording this on a Sunday evening whilst my cat purrs on the bed beside me and my son is being corralled to have his bath. It's a fairly cosy scene of family life. However, the episode you're about to listen to was recorded on a grey, damp autumn Monday afternoon, which is maybe one of the most dickish kinds of day, so the stage was set for some serious dick naming. This podcast features Joel Golby, who's a writer and journalist who writes for Vice, The Guardian and many other places besides, and he's great, so I absolutely recommend checking out his work. If you enjoy listening to these podcasts but wish that you could tell the world about the people and things that annoy the crap out of you, well now you can, because every Friday we also put out our companion podcast, Compact Dicks, which are short little episodes where me and former host James Deacon read out your picks for who and what should be put on an island. And you know what? Given we're currently in lockdown, the weather is balls, and it seems to get dark at lunchtime, it might make you feel a bit better. So tell us who and what you hate at dickspod.com slash contact and have your say. Also, it's really nice if you subscribe and give us a rating too, and that way you will never miss an episode of either Compact Dicks or Desert Island Dicks. Speaking of Desert Island Dicks, here it is now with Joel Golby. Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is writer and journalist Joel Golby. You forgot actor. I'm doing well, thank you. So yeah, before I I did say I'd introduce you as actor, writer and journalist. (laughs) Yeah, I've already thrown you off there, haven't I? This is a great story. That's all right. We can mess around (laughs) on this, yeah. doesn't have to be a straight shot. That's cool. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm I'm good, but in the exercise of doing this, in the exercise of, of bringing up a list of people that I don't like, I think I've had to reassess my relationship with hatred and like <laughs> the deeper, the bone deep nature of myself by trying to compile a list of three people that I can say in a light-hearted way that I I wouldn't want to get marooned on a desert island with <laughs> because I I like I I started searching all of my tweets that I've done over like the the past ten years for the word hate to see what things I've consistently hated for however long and um, it was treasure trove frankly. <laughs> And I, but I, I, I don't know, I kind of realised how um, negative a person I am <laughs> and how, how many things I hate for really sort of facile reasons. Mm. And it, it made me reassess a lot of things. So in answer to your question, how are you? I'm 7 out of 10, but I'm on the cusp of an existential crisis. <laughs> that's what, I think that sort of goes with the territory these days. I mean, even if you're not compiling a list of everything awful in the world, mm. I mean, you know, the the stage is set for quite an average day. You know, today it's that sort of like just grey autumn day. It's not really raining. It's not no. really so dry. It's kind of, you know, there's a sort of like dampness around, mm. you know. So, I mean, these are prime Desert Island Dick's conditions, I think, you know. Is this normally the energy that, that we go into this podcast with because I'm <laughs> somehow more depressed than when we started like, five minutes ago. Oh, it's I'm so, it's horrible. Oh. <laughs> this is a horror. 
Well, I tell you what, let's get stuck in and we'll see if, you know, it can be some kind of cathartic sort of uh, experience for both of us. Yeah. In casting off our hate. Yes. Maybe we can sort of come out the other end just feeling lighter of spirit. <laughs> it's a long yeah, shot. Let's, you know what? Let's just turn this into therapy, shall we, Dan? <laughs> You look unconvinced, but let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. <laughs> Who's going to be the first person to join you on the island? Well, okay. This was tricky. I found people trickier than things. I think hating people is is an art to hating people. <laughs> so, for instance, today I, I woke up and, you know, I did my usual thing where I, I check Twitter before I get out of bed. And it's a classic thing with Twitter is there's... There's a main character every day, and it's your goal not to be them. <laughs> and so I quickly found who the main character was, what what stupid bilge they tweeted, and what people were sort of sincerely replying to it. And within, within I would say, 15 minutes of waking up, even before getting out of bed, I'd already found someone who I'd never knew before, and who doesn't know I exist. I barely know they exist. But I'd, I'd already found someone to dislike with my day. So I'd found someone. And, and this is where I started thinking none of this is healthy behavior. So I, I went sort of deep into this rabbit hole of just some person who innocuously replied to the main tweet of the day. And I like found their YouTube videos of their stand-up routines, which all had like 26 views, like a really heartbreakingly low number of views. Not even a significant enough number to, to sort of really dunk on, to, to to say that this is this is a person of substance who I can hate. And then I watched like three or four of them. I, I'm, I've now probably watched out of a, a sort of perverse interest like I don't know, something very ghoulish within me, but I've probably seen more of their stand-up of this person than possibly anyone else alive. <laughs> and I did it, not even for a joke, I just did it. I, d- I got nothing out of it. It wasn't funny, it wasn't good. <laughs> I didn't contact them and say, you should stop doing this, it's not really working for you. <laughs> and this is this is all before I even got out of bed today. And I was like, obviously I can't put that person on my first person is Eamon Holmes, obviously. But I can't put I can't put like a, an insignificant a person who's done nothing, a completely inoffensive person who's just living their life and putting out their substandard comedy routines. I can't say that they are the mo- the person I would least like to end up on a desert island with on Earth. But I would say out of the people I've hated today, and it's only about twenty to three now. They're, they're number one. Mm. That's quite strange that the internet allows us to do that, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's really bizarre, isn't it? And, and I think sometimes with the sort of average people like that, it's sort of, they can sort of, you get this idea of who they are, and that can almost stick in your mind, like, as if they were a sort of celebrity or something, you know, like, yeah. just that weird guy commenting on something can just sort of lodge in your brain. And, it, and it's almost worse, because you're less likely to meet them than you would be to meet a celebrity, so yeah. like you'll never have any closure. No. There's no point talking to them. No, there's... there's there's no point engaging, there's no point chasing it down, but somehow you end up like 72 weeks deep onto their Instagram and you, <laughs> you can like see the moment they broke up with the other girlfriend they had before this or whatever. And you're like, again, I still haven't had a coffee today and I know these weird interior details of someone's life mm. for, for a joke. <laughs> do, do you ever do that? Do you? It's not, it's not hate follow and it's not, 
admiration follow it's in this weird gray zone of just like it's like slowing down to look at an accident do you do that with people a little bit i think it's something i think it's something to do with as you get older the amount of times you meet new people decreases Mm -hmm. so like increasingly you have people you work with and people you already know and like friends and family and stuff Mm -hmm. and so most people you know are like you so when you actually sort of meet a stranger who doesn't fit into your camp of like I work with this person, I'm related to this person, or I have this person is a friend, you're kind of like, oh, right, so what kind of life is this then? This is like a new sort... And I think that's why people always say that their parents are mad, because they've basically spent time with fewer and fewer people. Yeah. Their foibles have been exacerbated over time. So it's like, oh, no, yeah. your father won't eat it like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's why we all sort of just slowly go mad as we get older. So I think it's like when you just see someone leaving, like living a sort of alternative life, it isn't necessarily worse or better than yours. It's just different. You're like, oh, okay, all right. Is that that's how this works then? Yeah, I don't know. They're ju- that's exactly it. They're just they're just out there living a life, a completely unbothered life, completely untouched by you. It's just strange that I can do that and I can observe. I can observe through a window, just sort of. Yeah. loom at the edge of their life and go, that wasn't a very funny joke that you put on YouTube. Pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> it's not healthy. Anyway, we, so remind me again, the plane has crashed. Yeah, the plane has crashed. You're stuck with the three people that you'd least like to spend time with on an island. Like, am I injured? Um, so let's say that you're not injured. You're all healthy. Um, okay. You may become injured, you know, over time in the survival. That's on me. You know, yeah, yeah that, that's up to you guys. Um, but we'll start you off in the best health possible. Okay, all right. Well, it's whoever, whatever state I'm in, it's 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 Eamon Holmes. Uh, <laughs> okay. And the thing is, like, I don't even hate Eamon Holmes. He he inspires very little in in me, and I assume in everyone else. I think that's why he's lived rent-free inside my head for as many years as he has. Because <laughs> Eamon Holmes has been on TV like as long as I have been alive, mm. and I, I still don't understand why. Yeah, because he's 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 completely inept at presenting. He's he's very I find him very very charmless. He sort of clonks around the set. He has. A, a, an air of shambolic about him, a bit, a bit like Mister Blobby, sort of crashing through a doorway. <laughs> you, you always feel like Eamon Holmes is going to like tip over a pan of bolognese that someone's just made, <laughs> or like break a sofa for a joke. And he co-presents quite often on this morning with his wife, who seems to hate him as well. So you, you, you've basically been invited into someone's home to watch a not particularly likeable couple bicker with each other while just about stitching together a few, <laughs> a few, a, a few that's sort of a cooking bit or like yeah. a, a how to style a skirt. And Eamon Holmes is just there on the edge, not being funny, not getting on cue, not hitting his lines, just, just causing trouble. I just don't understand. I don't understand how he's still a presence in, in British culture. Whoever looked at Eamon Holmes and went, I want to see that man on TV. I would say 40 hours a week. That's what I want. It's mad, isn't it? Because it's like, yeah, as you say, like he's not that good at doing what he does. No. He's not even sort of like charming or good looking. At least no. if you're like, oh, but yeah, obviously they put him on because, you know, all the board housewives in the morning. Yeah. You know, bit of Eamon. But he's not that. No. And it's like, well, he's not funny. No. If, if it is, you know, if we sort of go with stereotypes and presume it is a sort of majority female audience watching him. 
then like he's probably not you know he doesn't he seems like quite a sort of yeah like you say like a cumbersome old sort of man that yeah, isn't you know he's a sofa that someone put in a suit I don't understand like no one's waking up and being like I, I can't wait to turn the TV on and see Eamon Holmes did you hear what Eamon said this morning oh, so insightful that dishy fucker once again just so succinct his timing is so brilliant he throws to ads at just the right time he never gets confused at satellite delays with a link to someone in America he's, <laughs> he's the perfect person no one ever says that they're like oh here's Eamon Holmes yeah. again a stain on your favourite t-shirt in the form of a man <laughs> and also I think because he has been in telly at such a uh, sort of that uh, point in the in the schedule for such a long time he's probably not very cheap either no. I bet he, he's expensive so it's like you're getting this package but it still it's, costs quite a lot of money it's, it's the worst value that we have but again it's it's just I don't know I think there's something strange and inherent in it says a lot about like Britain that we are that we allow Eamon Holmes to happen at the particular luxurious price bracket he occupies, the incredible mm. like spot on the schedules that he always seems to be in. Because it, the, in the past couple of years, there's been this really strange, like uh, this news subculture. I've noticed it especially since I. I got an Android phone and switched from iPhone to Android. So on Android, like a lot of news services, like do push notifications and get on all your phones. Mm. And I noticed before I really like tailored my down. So now it just sends me football scores and really boring things like that. But it, it would just constantly tell me some sort of half thing that had happened on either good morning Britain or this morning that day. Mm. And there's this weird like race to write up what the the main talking point of this morning was on like the mirror and the sun and the express websites. I don't understand why, because it's not interesting when you watch it. And so <laughs> when they write it up and go like Eamon Holmes clonked into something again because it's a useless <laughs> fucking absolute waste of a presenter slot. But I would just get these push notifications constantly just going like, you won't believe what Aaron Holmes said in this interview. And then you watch the clip and it's just him sort of clunking over someone or talking yeah. or getting their name wrong or doing something like that. Mm. He's a very uninspiring man. Someone who occupies a similar space would be, I suppose, uh, Richard Maidley. But somehow he's got a bit of charm about him, you know. Ma- Maidley is dynamite. Maidley yeah. is gold dust. Maidley is, is, is a one-off. You know when Maidley's on camera that's... Something's going to happen. He's a spinning top. He can go in any direction. You don't know what he's going to do, who he's going to direct a question to. Quite often the line of fire is like his own female co-hosts. Mainly is live wire. He's, he's yeah. TV gold. Whereas Eamon Holmes just sort of clunks around. He slumps into view. Yeah. It's almost like they're siblings, you know, when it's like, Richard, take take Eamon with you when you go to the when you go to do your telly. Take no yeah. take him with you. And you're like, Oh mum, but I'm I'm but I've got a new contract, I can't bring Eamon. It's like take him with you. Yeah. You know. Like Eamon Holmes' mum is friends with your mum and <laughs> Whenever you, whenever he comes over, he has to play on your N sixty four, or he will <laughs> shout at you. Yeah. And he like he always has chocolate on his hands. He smears it on the <laughs> controller. He like loses all. You've done. Re, you've been re, working really hard on Mario sixty four. You've got loads of lives, but he keeps like jumping off the same very simple ledge. Is <laughs> is that sort of presence? Yeah. But 
it on TV for about six hundred grand a year. He baffles me. Yeah. And then and then I think how frustrating I would find him in a in a survival situation mm. doing his little quips. Yeah, because I could imagine that he'd be both useless but also very opinionated on how things were being done. Like a lot of mansplaining and a lot of kind of sort of going off into anecdotes which don't really help or even relate to the subject that much. But, you know, yeah. nothing that's useful. You can sort of go, look, all you have to do is carry this firewood with me. Like, not as much as me because I know you're famous, but just a bit. Of, carry some sticks and he'd still sort of fuck it up somehow. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't think he'd, he'd be very survivalist. I think he'd do weird things like carve a roof uh, out of a palm tree and talk to her and <laughs> stuff like that. I just, you know, and, and I wouldn't want to eat him in a... Do I, do I have to eat someone in this in this scenario or is their food come down with the plane as well? Well, we're going to get on to your least favourite food later, but I mean, I would never rule out the... It's, it's, it's also Eamon Holmes, <laughs> so we can just get out of the way yeah. early. But yeah, I just... Me, Eamon Holmes, a plane crash on an island. I just... I don't think we'd have much to say. No, no, I agree. And I just... Yeah, I just think he would... Like you say, just sort of be a combination between like a sort of a difficult celebrity who's like maybe a bit of a prima donna and also like a, an annoying younger brother at the same time, you know. So that's the last thing you want to really be stuck with. But then um, to distract you slightly, who's going to join the two of you then on the island? Who's going to be your second choice? Well, the thing is, the way my list has gone, and I've only just realised it now, it's, it's very anti-Irish and... <laughs> That's not deliberate. Uh, I, I didn't mean to do that. Um, but the next person is also from th- that island. Uh, and it's Conor McGregor. Okay, yeah. In many ways, similar to Eamon Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't know why... The thing with Conor McGregor, right? I, I think there's a lot of alternate paths in my life that I could have taken where I'd be a complete Conor McGregor head. Like, I'd be a complete nutter for Conor McGregor. And I think, whatever I think about Conor McGregor personally, and in this situation, I think we will get on. <laughs> if we crashed on an island, we just... Our energies are very different. I think he'd be doing a lot of shadow boxing, a lot of running around, uh, wasting his own energy. He'd put me in a lot of headlocks for... What seems fun at the start, but after the third or fourth day without food, actually gets very tiresome. Mm. He'd use up resources because his, his, you know, his metabolism requires more calories than mine. So he would necessarily be in line to take a larger portion of a, an exotic bird we might kill or something like that. And then obviously Eamon Holmes is gobbling up the rest. <laughs> but I think for me... Conor McGregor is like, uh, he's representative of of something. It's not necessarily the man himself, although I don't think we'd get on. It's, it's the, the strange cult of personality that he, he erected around himself. And it's strange because if I did like him as a sportsman, I would think it's sick. I, I, I would think what Conor McGregor does, like the way he's like branded himself out of MMA. He did that very insane boxing match and made a fortune. He's got like his own whiskey company. You know, he's he's endorsing brands all over the place. He's sort of turned himself from this sport that 
when he was first in it wasn't mega showbiz huge in the way it is now and he's sort of gone up with the sport in a way that you could argue he kind of helped redefine it and bring it mainstream and he's made himself a sort of huge floating monolith of a brand and made Mm. a lot of money from it which all of which I I respect like fair enough to turn being really good at getting kicked into the face (laughs) like into that fair enough but when I compare him to sportsmen like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who I'm a big fan of because I do like what he does on the football pitch, but he sort of does the same thing. He has this big sort of charade, this sort of stupid brand where he calls himself like a tiger and talks in the third person and sort of has this very huge deliberate ego thing going on. Like, I am Zlatan, I'm going to save the MLS and stuff like that. But I think that's fine. (laughs) I I like it way less in Conor McGregor because I just don't really follow his sport Mm. because you have to stay up very late to watch MMA. It's not really my vibe. And I think think it's, it's kind of strange that I can admire basically the same behavior in one lap and and not be so into it in another but then there, there is something about the sort of fallout of conor mcgregor the kind of people who like him on facebook and mm. buy his whiskey and sort of live very alternate lives to me yeah i think he just seems like a, just a sort of difficult problematic kind of individual i think the nature of his sport you have to be so full of self-belief yeah that i mean there's some sort of fighters and boxers who seem fairly sort of nice and easy going and stuff but like so many of them like you have to be so convinced that you're the dog's bollocks and you're never gonna lose that like it must take years to switch off from that or maybe you never do but having that energy on an island where probably the best thing to do is all just become you know like lose any sense of ego mm. or sense of self and just band together as best you can Having someone like that on who, you know, will never be defeated and is the best of all time and, and like, aggressively so as well, you know. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, that would just be exhausting. And also, you can't ever tell him to shut up because he'll kill you. Well, yeah, this is the thing. It's a bit like if you if you ever got paired with, like, the hard kid for a group project at school, you kind of had to listen to whatever they were saying, even if it was really stupid, because because of the the necessary hierarchy that comes from them being like five or ten times harder than you. So, you know, you'd end up in a science project and someone just go like, well, why don't we just invent Facebook? And you you have to be patient with the idea and go like, yeah. I mean, what we're doing here really is testing the pH of certain waters when they've had elements in it, but we we can keep invent Facebook as plan B, obviously. And then they go, no, well, why don't we just... I think we should go with my idea, which is invent Facebook. And then you lose <laughs> a lot of time. I think I think that would... I think Conor McGregor on an island with me and Eamon Holmes would just be constantly either trying to kill me or invent Facebook. <laughs> and he wouldn't really be very helpful at, like, getting coconuts down from trees and hunting or getting fresh water mm. he'd be trying to he'd be trying to find a mobile phone on the beach because he's convinced that that's how they appear in nature or something like that <laughs> it would be a waste of time yeah i can sort of imagine as well he's the sort of person who'd play like 
incessant but very aggressive practical jokes like i don't know you know it start off one day throws a load of water on you in your sleep and then the next day it'd be like filling your shelter with scorpions mm. and then the next day you know just like progressive like and no one else is getting off on it like even Amons is sort of wincing as, as it happens and he's like ah do you like that one huh lads yeah. lads do you like that and you're like Yes, Connor, as you, like, pick fucking poisonous spores out of your eyes or whatever. So. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of piss would end up in my food and stuff like that. <laughs> and it just get very tiresome very quickly when I'm... When I'm already annoyed because Eamon Holmes keeps telling sort of meandering anecdotes that don't really go anywhere. And then Connor McGregor sort of jumps out from behind a bush and tells me that I've been eating piss for three days. It's just... <laughs> it's not really the vibe. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's, uh, like, a... Uh, just like a scary scary man you know but there's some people you think right you'd be terrifying to face in a in a ring mm. but i can see that you're a normal person but yeah i mean i don't know much about that world other than conor mcgregor and then i just read an, an article for some reason about a guy who's like the greatest ever and has never been defeated and he's retiring and i looked into him and he's just like apparently like supports loads of like incredibly right-wing dictators in eastern europe and is like really misogynistic and you're like i want to believe that you don't have to be a bad person if you fight for a living you know <laughs> like and there's somewhere there's like a noble pursuit of the sport but like my recent reading hasn't hasn't backed that up yeah i mean it's, it's been there's been loads of boxers through history who are you know very culturally aware and able to use their platform and like intelligent and verbose and what have you and i'm not deep enough into ufc to know if there's like a poet laureate of the octagon <laughs> but like yeah from the ones i know they're sort of quite a sort of hyper kids who've who've turned their boundless energy into getting really good at punching and moving around and putting people in leg locks and i mean good for them i guess we we all need something mm. to do and if if getting your head kicked in and in the middle of a cage is your thing, then then good for you. But I just I don't want to be mm. trapped on a desert island with that kind of energy. No, no, I agree. I think it'd be absolutely exhausting. So yeah, a good choice, a good choice to join Eamon Holmes. Also, I just think you're going to be like pogoing between the two of them. You know, it's like Eamon says something boring, Connor says something terrifying. You go back to Eamon, exactly still on yeah. that. And this is my fear as well because you can't kick the shit out of Eamon Holmes, can you? No, realistically. <laughs> So I think when Connor does get the bloodlust, which I assume he gets what, four or five times a day, he's not going to kick Eamon Holmes' head in sport, is he? He's going to yeah. try and grapple me, and I'm not very good at fighting. Yeah, I'm a big clunking oaf myself, and I think he'd get a lot from sort of downing me the the way that, that hunters enjoy a, a sort of, um, you know, killing a bear or something. It's... It's good to best an animal that's that's bigger than you. Mm. I think Conor McGregor, who who's who's what about five eight or something like that. I think he's quite a small man, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, I think he just enjoys sort of trying to do a vertical leap onto my head and like knee me in <laughs> in both the eyes at once or something. I've got like broken eye sockets and we've glued them together with bits of coconut and yeah. whatever we can find in the plane. And and again, he's just like, oh, it's, it's just banter, uh, <laughs> whatever he. I don't, I don't, I don't know how Conor McGregor would explain breaking both my eye sockets for a joke, but I think mm. he would, he would have something backed up, and Eamon Holmes would, would side with him quite rightly. Yeah, 
I can imagine him sort of going, oh, it's just a joke and giving you like a playful punch on the arm, but that playful punch also really hurt. Yeah. You know, keep doing that. Like, oh, I forgot you don't like it when I do that, do you? Bam. Yeah. Again. I, get a, I get a weird yeah. blood clot that complicates over the course of <laughs> us waiting for the rescue. And by the time the helicopter does arrive for us, I've just sort of got a, a perfectly purple gnarled arm that uh, it never really gets the sensitivity back that it used to. But I only use, yeah. only lose a couple of the the lesser fingers as a result of it. So it's, I, I can't I can't really be mad at Conor McGregor for, for doing that to me. Yeah, he doesn't know any better. He doesn't. All right, and uh, who will be the third person joining joining those two on the island with you? Well, it's interesting you said pranks because the, the third person isn't, isn't like a specific... It's not a person with a name. It's more of a concept. Mm. And... I need to caveat it as well with like what I'm about to say it sounds like the most out of touch like gruff northern dad who's angry at society evolving past the rate that he could understand it kind of answer possible. But I will <laughs> I do want to go a bit deeper into into why I've chosen this particular type of person. But like I've chosen vloggers mm. but as a very specific type of vlogger, because the thing with vloggers is maybe they're not necessarily the future of all media and all entertainment and and how we take in our news and how we spend our 15 minutes of leisure time watching them or whatever, but they are the present. They are like the present moment of how uh, we're shaping content I guess Mm. Um, and that's inescapable and that's fine and I can't be mad that vloggers make short chirpy YouTube videos that don't (laughs) directly appeal to me like that is not a global problem and I'm not mad at that like if your target audience is is 14 year olds who really like that very direct to camera sort of hyper way of talking Mm. and the quick edits and the sort of driving around Beverly Hills throw water balloons out your car. Fine, cool, good on you. <laughs> but there's there's a certain niche of vloggers that like again it's I'm not mad that they exist, but I wouldn't want to be trapped in a room or in this case on an island with them. And I think that can best be summed up by uh the the vlogger couple Lad Baby. Mm. Have you have you heard of this Lad Baby? I think I've I've heard the name, yeah. Cause they I think they might yeah, they have the last two Christmas number ones. Oh yes, that rings a bell. So I think they do like it's always about sausage rolls. So they yes, did a song yes, which I is remember. like we we built this city on sausage rolls. That's right. Which is which if you said that joke in a pub if you were all at the table and you were all going around trying to think sausage roll puns and someone said that, you'd laugh at about this level. <laughs> yeah. But what they did with that is they they made it a whole song and recorded it and made it a video with those kind of deliberately scripted ad-libs that are just designed to make me quite angry. So it's like, oh, oh get off, get off my sausage roll. Well, you're interrupting the song, like that kind of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they did it, and then, as as vloggers always do, they did a campaign. So they sort of campaigned to make this, this shit 
parody unfunny song Christmas number one and I'm sure it was for charity and I'm sure that's <laughs> fine and you can't slag off charity can you? you can't slag off bad jokes if they're done in honour of charity you can't slag <laughs> off Red Nose Day for the same reason but like I didn't need to see it and yet every year at Christmas I end up seeing this man in a, a shit Santa hat singing about sausage rolls and I think the reality of that kind of thing it's the same with like husband wife prank couples mm. of which lad baby are as well it's just it doesn't appeal to me in the least but the the fact that it does appeal to a huge swathe of not only the country but like the global population kind of depresses me to a very deep level yeah so like i've like i've got some lad baby and i'm picking on lad baby <laughs> lad baby seems nice they do a lot of work for charity i'm sure they're nice people But some of these uh, titles of videos, just like, they get my skin up in a way that I can't (laughs) describe. So I'm going to redo a couple. All right. When dad tries the Kung Fu challenge, couples are always doing Mm. challenges. YouTubers are always challenging each other to do some shit. Um, When dad hunts for sausage roll flavor crisps. That's just a four-minute video of a bloke running around a supermarket picking crisps up, mm. isn't it? Who's sitting down and going, well, this is entertainment, watching these incredibly normal people from Nottinghamshire <laughs> fuck about in a supermarket, and he loves sausage rolls, doesn't he? And he's got all his crisps piled up, and that's too many crisps for one family to put in a car. That's mental. <laughs> Who, who's watching that? And then another, when Dad doesn't stop scaring Mum... Because, again, I, I find the energy of these prank couples completely exhausting. How do you live in a house where someone is constantly, like, bending around a doorway with a GoPro yes. and yelling at you so you spill your tea and then they do a sort of mock, like, oh, I don't want you to... Oh, I can't believe you spilled your tea. Obviously, I spilled my tea, lad, baby. You fucking dick. You just jump around the fucking... You jumped around the doorway while I was... Obviously, I was going to spill my tea, you prick. You stupid prick. (laughs) Think about some sausage rolls about it, you prick. (laughs) I get the sense with them as well that it's like every prank, they kind of go, oh, no, you got me. (laughs) Ha ha, that's so funny. And then, like, as soon as that recording stops, they go back to, like, absolutely ignoring each other for... Silence, yeah. Just just typing up more pranks to do on their phone. Is it, like... Whenever people, it started when people started doing flash mobs, really. Mm. That was the move. And I've never been charmed by a flash mob. And I've never thought they're good. And I've never admired the amount of effort that's gone into coordinating the dancing and getting everyone there. And I've I've never been impressed by the fact they do them in, like, train stations. Mm. I've never been wowed by that at all. But some people are, clearly. I mean, EE, EE did a flash mob advert last year in 2019 when the moment the moment had very long since passed it's like people are still out there in meetings pitching what if we just get 20 people in a train station doing a vaguely coordinated dance Mm. and someone else gone that is fucking brilliant that is the best idea i've ever heard and that ends up boiling down that that taps the same sort of points that lad baby fucking jumping out of a crisp shelf on a supermarket going, well, hey, that's that's for the same people. And I think possibly my beef with that is not that 
that they're doing it and they're, again, raising money for charity and what have you. That doesn't bother me, but I think part of it is how distant it makes me feel from the nub of, of that reality that in, in, in a lot of city rooms, on a lot of phones, on a lot of people's iPads, uh, they're watching Lad Baby and they're fucking loving it and they're chuckling away and they think it's great. Mm. And when he sings a song, they're like, oh, now it's Christmas. <laughs> Lad Baby's done a shit song about sausage rolls. Now I'm fucking revved up for Santa. It makes me feel not out of touch or old or anything. It just makes me feel like a thousand miles yeah. away from the people who do like Lad Baby and do, do, like, do like husband-wife pranks and shit like that. I wonder, though, if it's like... It's like the sort of voting with proportional representation. You're like, right, so let's say... I knew you'd do this. I knew as soon as I mentioned Lad Baby, you talk about voting <laughs> with proportional representation. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how it's like the party that won, there's still always more people, because it's a first-past-the-post, yeah. there's sort of more people that don't want them in than do. But, you know, like as a, as a sort of percentage, you're like, well, you've got this chunk of the vote. Yeah. And it's kind of like that, you go... Well, everyone loves Lad Baby because he's number one at Christmas yeah. and he's got all these millions of views. But I think there's probably still more people that find him a cunt yeah, than don't. Yeah. Than, you know. I just think the whole premise is you have to buy into it and sort of suspend your disbelief so much. Like, they're kind of... You know, like you said about the challenges, it's like, you know, years ago there was, like, the cinnamon challenge. And it's like, let's see what happens if you eat a spoonful of cinnamon. You go, well, I fucking know what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, the same thing will happen to everyone because we're humans. We're not supposed to breathe in powdered cinnamon. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's like, or you know, things like that. You're like, but but why am I? It's when you know you're sort of really grown up instead of just going, Dad, Dad, look at this. It's really funny. Look how they choke on this dusty powder that they're they're eating. You just go, well, yeah, of course it's going to fucking happen, isn't it? But it's it's strange because like, so when I was a, a teenager, I was I was you know I was an adolescent in the the high point of like jackass culture and and mm. jackass was brilliant and if you watch it back now it still fucking is and maybe that's just because i'm pure and childish or maybe it's because it it means something to me based on you know how old i was when i fell in love with it you never say where you're the mm. first five albums that you you played you played until you screamed about them was like they're still important to you so maybe it's to do with that maybe we always just have to have sort of stupid shit like that in culture that's how it turns and that's fine maybe it's just the end game of that but i do i do think like the suspend your disbelief thing is really important because it's like they are constantly in the same two-bed house just pranking each other and the prank (laughs) the prank is always like oh go out into the garden and then she's turned into the camera she's always aware of the camera and going why what have you done what have you done in the garden he's like wait and see and you go out there and he's he's, you know he's inflated a big swimming pool and filled it with jelly or some stupid bullshit Mm. like he's she's gone to the garden he's painted the house pink the prat and Mm. stuff like that and it's like well you know obviously you know that he's done some yeah, stupid bullshit. You would bullshit. have seen the setup. As like, soon as you live in a normal sized house, there's no way he could do house. the setup of that without you seeing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And at what point do you go, can you stop doing this bullshit, lad, baby? At what, at what point does like it being your job to be 
pranked <laughs> get tiresome <laughs> because at this point they like how do they have interactions anymore when they go to bed at night and he's like oh tomorrow can you not go in the dining room until about 3 p.m mm. uh why what have you done oh, so i don't know yeah just some bullshit i've put a tarpaulin down i might throw a cake at you or some shit i don't even know anymore <laughs> it's not even funny it's not even there's no there's no levels to it it's just <laughs> it's just some stupid lie by bullshit and she she has to pretend that she's annoyed by it in a very sort of mm. forgiving way like oh i wish you hadn't thrown a cake that's a waste of cake that you threw at me there but <laughs> It'll probably get two million hits, so actually it's fine. Throw another one. Yeah. Throw a bakewell tart at me. Yeah, do whatever they fucking want, mate. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> so, I don't know. I, f- I find something curiously joyless about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah it is. I think it's, it's, they sort of occupy the same space. I suppose, like, the sort of earlier version of them would have been, like, a sort of a radio sidekick or, like, you know, the third presenter on Blue Peter yeah. who was kind of like, the you're not the good-looking pair. No. You're the one that sort of pops up and does the kind of unglam. You're the one that will be shoveling the elephant shit in the zoo, yeah. you know, where the rest of them get to cuddle a monkey or something. Yeah. You'll be the one going, well, a slightly less glamorous job, but one that's important <laughs> nonetheless. Today I'm in London's sewers, you know. It's like that same, like, oh, give it to that guy. Yeah. Give them the, you know. Yeah. And it's that, like, someone has to be the full guy in our, in our culture. And this is like the sort of the, the sort of modern millennial version of it. Exactly. This, this is the current iteration of who's going to go down. Down a sewer, but the thing is, I wouldn't want to go down a sewer with Lad Baby because I wouldn't trust him not to pelt fucking tampons at me or something, and be like, Whoa. I'll get mad and be like, don't, don't fucking throw tampons at me, Lad Baby. And be like, oh, it's just, it's just a, oh, it's, I got it from, it's not, it's not a sewer tampon. I bought it myself. I spread jam on it and threw it at you. <laughs> Fine, that's not funny. Don't do it. Yeah. And maybe I'm just. Maybe I'm just out of touch, but Lad Baby makes me feel like I'm a fucking alien on Earth and I don't yeah. understand anything. It's just a man <laughs> in ill-fitting jeans running around a supermarket being a twat. I don't understand it. And I don't want to get stuck on a fucking tropical island with him yeah. because he'll, cause, he'll be like, oh, I've invented a new game. What? Flicking your ear. And then Conor McGregor will obviously get into that. I'll do that. Oh, I'll, I'll roundhouse a cake into Joel's face, and just <laughs> stupid. It's stupid. Don't get. I don't get it. But I can also imagine a sort of a scenario where he's so hardwired in into pranking people. He's like, at one point, you see him talking to himself, and you realise that he's still sort of doing pieces to camera, even though he's got yes. no phone. He's like watch me as I do my riskiest prank yes. ever when I prank McGregor and he's going to do it but you you know that he's going to get killed Yeah. so you've got to intervene but without it making it look like you were part of it as well exactly so now I have to stop Lad Baby from pissing off Conor McGregor uh, who's still going to beat the shit out of me because he's, he's not going to because he's, he's pissing everyone's food now and yeah, Lad Baby's off in the distance saying, constantly saying like, hi guys, hey guys, you guys are going to love this today. Eamon Holmes just sat on his ass a thousand miles away. Conor McGregor's roundhousing all the food into the sea. <laughs> I think if four of us go down on a plane, I'm just going to find a way to die yeah. rather than survive with well, I think that's a, a very good selection of difficult people to be stuck with. I think that's a very sound basis. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Gaskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Okay, we're going to move on from people now because mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately okay. for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. Right. What are they and why are they so bad? Do, do I do a food and a drink? Yes, it's a, a food, food and a drink. A food. Do I do a food and a drink? Okay. Food uh, is a raw tomato. Okay. Um, do, do you want me to expand on that? <laughs> yeah, if you would, yeah. <laughs> It'd be a hell of a show if I just came in and read the list. Was, yeah, tomato. See ya. Tomato and lad baby. Bye. Um, well, I'm not a fussy eater at all. I'll eat loads of things, like most things I like. And the things I've, I've struggled with in the past have always been quite textural. So mm. it took me a long time to come round to avocados because I didn't quite get the texture. Now I do. Big fan. But at first, I was just like, so it's sort of a green mash, <laughs> not for me. And also, avocados taste a bit weird in this country anyway. And then the other one was aubergines, which I, it took me a while to get my head around the fact that they sort of come out with this very oily, greasy skin, which is unchewable at the mm. same time. And just chop that off, and it's just a nice vegetable. It's okay. <laughs> but raw, raw tomatoes have ruined all of the great burgers of my life. I don't like the way they sort of, the texture of them just icks me out in a way that I just can't get my head around at all. I just, I, I, the the bite, the chomp to a, raw, a slice of raw tomato, like a, an underwhelming slice of beef tomato <laughs> in the middle of a burger. So you, you bite into it and you sort of pull back and every layer of the burger is has done what it's meant to do which is form a bite which is Mm. now in your mouth apart from the tomato because there's like a a rind of skin that's just (laughs) about holding the the fleshy sort of wet joyless meat of it to the burger still so you've got to bite it again and that skin's going in your body it's not getting digested it's coming right out and then there's just loads of seeds that are just sort of surrounded by a small wet pocket of like sour Mm. that's crap and then you chew them together and all you can really taste is tomato which is fine i like tomato Mm. sauce i like it on a pizza i like ketchup but in the form of a raw tomato the three component textures are all Mm. fighting against each other and somehow overwhelm everything they touch it really bugs me and it's one of the things because it's so cheap it ends up in in so many sort of lunch options, you order a salad and there's chopped tomato throughout that you have mm. to pick out. It's in every burger. It's in a lot of supermarket meal deal sandwiches. Just a really limp crap, like a tomato that's been grown in a warehouse. It's never seen the sun and mm. it's just this sort of disc of pink <laughs> that's there, ruining everything it touches. And I've just never, and I don't like cherry tomatoes before. I assume people write in to question everything. <laughs> no, and, I, and someone's going to write in and go, mm, "Have you forgot cherry tomatoes?" I don't like them. You pop them in; they're too they're quite explosive, sweet and sharp, and yeah, they pop in your mouth. Mm. And it's, they're not 
Cherry tomatoes are not as fun as people make out they are, and I'm <laughs> sick of pretending that they are. And so, in every way, top to bottom, I've just never had a good experience with a raw tomato. Fair play. And I can I can only assume that'd be compounded by <laughs> Conor, Conor McGregor saying he, he pissed in it somehow. <laughs> pissed in that tomato. And, and Lad Baby's laughing his head off. Well, I think, you know, given that they would have come from the wreckage of a plane as well, they're going to be that sort of... You know, like you get them in a plain salad and it's like just freezing cold. It's like just one step above ice. It's like, you know, and there's no taste. It is just like a slice of ice in your sandwich or something just because it's that kind of that weird sort of grainy, mushy shit tomato that you're like, yeah, there's not even any point because you're not adding flavor. I mean, I suppose it brings a bit of color, but you've basically made my sandwich soggy for no reason Mm. because you're not giving me any flavor so it's just something cold and wet in an otherwise okay sandwich it's just padding it's just crap padding yeah hate them yeah fair enough and uh what were you going to wash those down with uh rum rum any particular (laughs) kind (laughs) rum rum and tomatoes the breakfast of champions um, I mean, rum sort of goes with the seaside, uh, you know, the, the desert island kind of vibe, doesn't it, at least? Yeah, it's quite piratey, and I think uh, it's something that, that Connor, it, you know, we'd, we'd call it Connor's Calm Down Juice, and we'd give him a little <laughs> bottle of rum late at night when he gets a little bit too hyper from laughing at Lad Baby's pranks. But personally, I just... Um, I my My relationship with drinking spirits has changed from when I was a kid where you would do it as a strange punishment to yourself to get drunker faster mm-hmm. and you would you would get the worst possible supermarket version of vodka or whiskey and you would mix it with supermarket coke at someone's house before you mm-hmm. went out and you just it, it was it was a functional way of getting drunk rather than mm-hmm. drinking a beer which is a lot of fizz and froth and not a lot of actual alcohol. You have a shot and everyone recoils in horror and you wash it down with an actual drink that tastes nice and blah, blah, blah. And then you get to a certain age, you get to a certain step in adulthood and maybe it's just, you know, you go to a date at a cocktail bar and you have a drink and you realise that liquor can actually taste nice and be quite sophisticated. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. oh, fucking hell. And then at, at some point you turn 28 and you just have a load of bottles of quite nice booze that you never actually drink, but you've moved house with three times. <laughs> and they're like, it's a nice bottle of vodka left over from a party, or it's like a third of a nice bottle of whiskey, or there's tequila or Zambuca. And you realise that if you if you go up from Tesco own, <laughs> liquor can be really, really nice. Mm. Apart from rum, which is literally always dog shit, it's always horrible. There's, there's never, there's no good rum cocktail. A dark and stormy is not a good drink. It's just sort of a saccharine sugar water that's so sweet. It's it's bizarrely gone sort of caramelly and dark, but not in a pleasant way. And again, I have a really sweet tooth, but rum just does nothing for me. And I can always, I can, I just feel like I can feel it going into my body. Like I can feel it at my chest level, mm. and my diaphragm, then into my stomach. And I just, it's, it's not for me. It's not an elegant drink. Yeah, it's because it's sort of you know it's, obviously it's made from sugar, so you associate it with hot countries. But it's sort of a weird drink for a hot country because it's so sticky and sugary that yeah. it's almost like in those climates what you want is something that you know like 
really cold martini. It's almost devoid of taste. It's just sort of crisp and neat, you know. But when it's like really hot and you're drinking something that's really strong and really sweet, and like the hangovers you get from it because of all the sugar and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. I went through a rum and coke phase when I was sort of in my early twenties. We've all been there. I'd hated it before, and then there's some this weird sort of couple of years where I just decided it was the most delicious drink in the world, and I'd have hangovers the next day where I just felt like. I was coming off smack or something. I'd just be lying there, like shivering, just like, yeah. you know, like so, especially with Coke as well, you have like double sugar, yeah. loads of caffeine, and you're just sort of like cold and shivery the next day. And it's headache. Fucking horrendous. Headache you must have got from that shit. It's insane. Yeah, I was like, God, I feel like I've been spiked. I, sp- <laughs> I spiked myself yeah. with like three bags of sugar. Classic self spiking. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's basically, if you were going to design a spirit, for toddlers, rum would be the one, wouldn't it? It's, mm. it's like how, you know, all, all five-year-olds dream of having like a Haribo sandwich for lunch. And it's like, <laughs> if, if, you take, if you take that to the extreme by just putting a load of sugar in a, in a still until it becomes fermented, you've got rum, there you go. And it's, and it's, it's toddler juice. It's, it's, a, it's a spirit for toddlers. Um, yeah, there's actually a bartender. I have a friend of mine who's a bartender and makes these really nice, sophisticated cocktails. And he he did make one with rum. He makes a Christmas one with rum, which is like a hot buttered rum. So he like does something with a sous vide and a load of rum and butter together and a load of nutmeg, and then he sort of heats it up like a sort of hot toddy. It's delicious, but at that point you're basically just drinking butter. Yeah, yeah. So I like it when you mix it with butter and nothing else. <laughs> Everything else, like I can just taste every every molecule of rum, and yeah. I don't like it. Well, I mean that that hot buttered rum sounds delicious, but I bet that's delicious once. Like if you have a second one, that's when yeah. you feel so sick you're never going to drink it again. Exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. I think most people who who have a serious drinking career have have one drink in their past that they just had one bad night on, and now they can never do it again. And they they mm. actually they they struggle to even smell it. And I yeah. have that uh, a particular university hangover after splitting a case of uh, sort of it wasn't strong by dark fruits, but it was it was that kind of vibe. Um, <laughs> And now I just can't. I I can barely have cider anymore, <laughs> and I can definitely I can never have like a blackcurrant flavored cider or anything like that. Uh, and yeah, I, I think I think I must have hit my limit with rum after my first ever shot of rum because it's uh, it's a turn off for me. So if you put that and a tomato on a table with Conor McGregor threatening behind it. Yeah. It's not going to be a great time. I mean, you also mentioned calming Conor McGregor down with a bit of rum, but I think like it's quite a risky one because I mean, feeding something like that, something like rum, is uh, I don't know. Uh, he put he punches himself out. He, he'll do a couple of laps <laughs> of the island, and then he'll, he'll tucker himself out on his rum. It's night night for Conor. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll move on to the next bit. Now, Joel, fortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? Can I just say, your podcast is hellish, isn't it? You're basically (laughs) describing somewhere between limbo and hell. Yeah. And it's all the worst things that could possibly happen. Yeah. And I'm stuck yeah. there and I can't die. So <laughs> we had um 
Recently, we had Josh Jones, a comedian, on, and one of his choices was Julia Roberts, just because he loves her so much that it would be troubling to be stuck with her. And actually, hearing someone be really nice about something for like 10 minutes was quite refreshing for me. <laughs> you know, because the more I do this podcast, the more I just feel like I'm becoming a sort of dried out husk. Yeah, it must be hollowing <laughs> you out, man. This is horrible. Come on. Um, okay, so song is... Um, Timber by Pitbull featuring Kesha, mm. uh, which is it's a kind of country sort of dance. How, how would you describe Timber by Pitbull featuring Kesha? It's like a, a country tinged club banger. Yeah, it's I like what, so. what if they made a club banger with a banjo and a, a harmonica? Yeah, I mean, I find Pitbull a total fucking mystery because. Like, he seems like someone who maybe worked at a record company and finally they gave him a contract or something. Or, like, someone's dad or something. You know, because it's like, you're not very good looking. You're often wearing a suit, which doesn't make any sense. Like, you're not... So, like, nothing about it makes sense. It's like, at least in that in that sort of... That oeuvre, that genre, you kind of go, well, obviously, you know, he's got a six-pack and an amazing body, so so there you go. That's how he got there. Whereas him, he's just like, where... Where did you come into all of this? Pitbull's vibe is is unparalleled and it's inexplicable, and, and no one on earth could do what he does with the sort of brazenness he does it with, and that's what is very fascinating about him. Is he seems to be the first ever superstar who's got to the level he's at by sheer force of will. He just sort of decided that that's what he wanted. It sort mm. of happened. He just decided to be it. And he he definitely has, like, an ear for... Well, I mean, Timber was a pretty perfect example. He sort of seems to have an ear for, like, the right sample for the right movement of sort of an 18-month cycle of, of like, a pop trend. He seems to be about two months ahead of it every time Mm. it comes up. He just... He always seems to know where, where the next sort of one summer flash in the pan moment in pop is and he seems to be on that radar he's a sniper when it comes to that but then in terms of what he presents as he is just like a very well-groomed small town bouncer who just happens to do a sort of sideways smile and a, a feature a feature rap on like three songs a year yeah. and he makes millions and millions of dollars by doing it. That's why I think maybe he was like he was an A&R man or something and he went fuck it I'll just do this one myself like I can't be bothered managing this person I'm just I know what the hit's gonna be I'm just gonna do it and everyone went really dressed like that are you gonna just change no 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 I've got it I'm gonna call myself Mr. Worldwide so it sounds like I've, yeah. I'm already established you know like there, there is there is more of a hint of elaborate tax judge about him yeah. he, he, he does seem like he's he's a remainder of a, a budget that gets squared off every year and they they can't claim the same budget at the end of the year unless they've put away 300 grand on pitbull so they just sort of <laughs> they let him make timber with kesha and also if you've ever seen pictures of him not in a suit it's actually weirder so it's better <laughs> just to let him do do the suit vibe and, and drink a drink tequila or whatever it is mm. he drinks neat and just let it let him do his kind of 
threatening, most threatening guy in the VIP section of the club kind of <laughs> shtick because it works for him and it's fine. But pe- my personal, like, I have I have no truck with Pitbull at all. I actually really admire his his strange singular hustle, but that particular song is like, uh, you know, like every drinker has a, <laughs> a drink that they mm. can't smell anymore, and that is like the song version of that for me. I was working in an office that had pop radio on all all summer when that was a big hit mm. and it was on how it felt like eight or ten times a day because it was sort of on rotation on every show across every station we were listening to and just the opening fiddle it makes my whole body clench up because i've heard it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and like I have a fairly strange relationship with music anyway because like I'm a writer and I can't write to music particularly active music Mm. so if if you ever work in an office people like to have background music on and and at some point it evolves to the point where a few people have control of the music and then it depends on their mood on the day someone takes an hour where they decide or whatever and it's like None of those people write because it's you. You would you wouldn't write if you, you wouldn't put that music on if you were trying to write a single sentence because it's <laughs> like having it's like when you're trying to count to ten as some dickhead Conor McGregor in this case I imagine <laughs> will jump in and start going thirteen forty five sixty two yeah. and you're like no okay like your brain can't compute those two things at once so I can't listen to music that has lyrics in it when I'm trying to think or I'm trying to put a sentence or a paragraph together. So that's like a lot of my working day is spent trying to shape my thoughts into <laughs> sentences that just about say what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> Ironically, really an element. Of but like, I can't do that when, when active music is on. So, so working in that office where I had to write like 10 articles a day with Pitbull constantly pounding timber at me on a big yeah. overhead stereo. And I, you know, I had the big overhead headphones on to try and mute it out. And I'm trying to blast ambient sound into my <laughs> own eardrums to get out. But like, it rises over everything there's no there's no noise cancelling that can keep timber by pitbull featuring kesha out of the periphery of your mind yeah and so that that summer was impossible for me to work <laughs> through and now i just when i hear that song it's like it just it 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 takes me back to the desk i was sat on to the way the light came into the room to the people who were surrounding me i'm right back there like seven or eight years ago just exasperated because I can't do a moment's work when <laughs> when Pitbull featuring Kesha is on. So it's I don't want to say listening to that song is like torture to me because I don't want to undermine torture when people <laughs> genuinely go through it. But like it's up there. Yeah. It's yeah. it's eighty percent torture. It is bad. That's a bad one. Yeah, I think I think there's just something about the production techniques that they ensure that it cuts through anything. It's like someone uh, described it as like gym music. You know, it's like you can have your headphones on in the gym, but it's that kind of music and it will always cut through everything. You know, because they assume that everyone in the gym wants to hear that kind of music. And it's like, it's just sort of loud. And, you know, it just, and it always reminds me of feeling really sick in the back of a cab, you know, and they're like, sometimes they even offer you to change the station. You're like, I can't even think right now, just, but 
I don't go to the sort of clubs that play this music, but now I'm feeling really sick and you're playing this music at me and it feels like I might as well be in one of these places where it's 50p a shot, you know. So, yeah, I feel your pain. And what would be your film choice? Well, the thing is, there's not a lot of films that I don't don't like. Um, it's, it's very rare that I'll... St- I'm a bit of a completist when it comes to films and TV, which drives my girlfriend up the wall. But, like... If we're watching an episode of something mm. and I need to get up out of the room to visit the bathroom or go get a glass of water or anything like that, I need to pause it. I don't, even if it's an episode of something crap on E4, <laughs> like even if it's a repeat, if it's Don't Tell the Bride or something like that, where it doesn't matter if I miss three minutes of action, mm. I really do like to see every minute of what I'm watching. I'm just quite uptight about that. So it's very, very rare that I'll turn a film off mm. because I don't like it. I'll I'll battle to the end pretty much regardless. There's, there's two films that I just... <laughs> and they're classic films as well. It's just they, they, they hit part of my mind that just turns it off. It's really strange. And I've never got to the end of them. I have no idea how they end. And they are... Clueless <laughs> and alien. <laughs> okay. And obviously, you know, one's a spiritual sequel to the other, but bo- both of them, uh, Alien, uh, Alien's a late night film anyway, so it might be that. It's always been put on at about 10 pm, mm. and I'll start and I'll see an alien burst out of someone's chest. Uh, uh, you know, it starts to get threatening in corridors. There's a shadow, and and then I wake up because someone's shaking me awake on a sofa. I've never got through Alien in my life, and then with Clueless, um, I I just I've had a lot of people try and show me Clueless. It's a for a lot of people, it's like a classic hangover sort of cozy comedy where. Mm. You know the beats of it. You know the iconic scenes. There's there's a lot of comfort to be had in in rewatching films that you know almost word for word when you're on a hangover and you don't you don't want to be challenged in any way. You just I think that's what I I'm convinced that like eighty percent of Disney films are watched on a hangover yeah. and twenty twenty percent on a sugar rush <laughs> and most of them at about eleven a.m. on a Sunday morning yeah. and it's just co- completely disparate sets of people experiencing these things in different ways mm. and so I've always been hanging when I've been forced to watch Clueless and I've been like under two duvets and unable to move and unable to say, no, please don't put Clueless on, on DVD yet again. <laughs> but I've just, I've, I, I don't know what happens in Clueless. I get to the point where she's picking her outfit with the special computer and she makes that little speech at the start of class. And then, my mind just is white noise. <laughs> I can't, and my mind just can't grip the textured edges of Clueless. It mm. just slips off. And then I come to about 90 minutes later and Paul Rudd is in a car and that's it. That's all I know about okay. Clueless. And I've probably, I've probably watched the opening scenes of Clueless like six or seven times. Yeah. I have no idea what happens in Clueless. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it's one of those films that I can imagine if you loved it when you were young, it would be fun to watch it again. But I think to come at as an adult, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense. 
you know yeah i think it's a nostalgia you know it's probably like something like the goonies as well i mean they're different types of films but like if you watch the goonies as a grown-up maybe if you watch it with a child you think oh this is quite fun but if you just watch it yeah. on your own you're probably like yeah i don't know don't know what all the what all the memes are about i mean i'd probably honestly say the same about the original star wars films mm. where if you if you're coming to them as an adult like i haven't even watched the last two of the what is it the the, the sequel trilogy, I don't, I don't, like I watched. I watched a couple of the cinema, and I was like, "It's just not really exciting being a grown adult <laughs> in a cinema watching this stupid dumb space opera that's literally always the same story. <laughs> it's the same arc of villainy every single time." I, it, how have you not evolved? I've evolved because Star Wars. Yes, I'll buy the cool Lego. It looks sick, but like the story's <laughs> crap. It's rubbish. Mm. But if it was on ITV on a sleepy Sunday afternoon when I'd been up all night drinking rum and <laughs> black, black currant cider and I felt like shit and all we had in the house was tomatoes, mm. I'd probably quite happily took into Return of the Jedi. Yeah. But it's not it's not good, is it? Yeah. It's, it's half of a memory of you enjoying being excited by a film yeah. and half of it is quite cool fight scenes with lightsabers and then the rest of it is some really schlocky overacting in front of a green screen <laughs> where they're going the primordial planet is very angry at thine and then there's a war something explodes it's not good <laughs> and that's my review of clueless <laughs> i just think with uh, with clueless so i imagine the uh what's it lad baby is probably going to love it that's yeah. Gonna, so he'll get really giddy and excited. Not so clueless. Conor McGregor and Eamon Holmes are going to say this is this is teenage girly nonsense. Like, what are you lads doing watching a film about girls dressing yeah, up? Yeah, Eamon Holmes is actually going to go on quite a problematic rant about it. I think it's it's going to it's going to yeah. split the island. And so I think even if you were like, well, I've never seen this film before. At least I'm stuck with a film I've never seen. You know, you're not going to be able to watch it in peace. And so I imagine it's kind of like, no. oh, is it Atlas pushing up? pushing the world to the top of the hill and then it just rolls down again the next day. Uh, Sisyphus. Sisyphus, of course. Yeah, yeah so it's just, it's going to be your own Sisyphean task. Yeah, yeah. Again, I mean, if you, you know, it's it's two different tortures, isn't it? The the eternal torture of the infinite and, and the, the, the constant threat of success but never the biting reality of it. And then Pitbull <laughs> featuring Kesha singing about it going down. Uh, all in all, if I haven't already gone insane from being punched in the head repeatedly by Conor McGregor and only eating tomatoes and being pranked all the time, <laughs> um, those those two media will probably probably push me right over the yeah. edge. Well, look, I can tell it's been you know I mean you've done so well at picking all these awful things that I can tell it's taken a bit of a toll. So we're we're nearly at the end. This is the final thing. Okay. Finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it, and why? Oh, okay. So it's an island overrun by animals because I had two. I had two animal answers mm. as well. One of one of them was to. This isn't my answer, right? But <laughs> I think if if in that mix. You gave me a dog to care for. Hmm. I I wouldn't be too happy because although I appreciate dogs, they have a, a nice little vibe. If there's a dog in the pub, I'm like, okay, cool, mellow. I like that there's a, a smaller live thing there. But 
I've always been more of a cat man because for me, dogs are so much upkeep. You've got mm. to walk them constantly. They're so dependent on you. You can't leave them alone for more than an hour or they start to freak out. you got to take them out to shit and piss constantly. They smell really bad, all of them, and they're always leaving further and they make your house smell way more than cats do. And though I do understand the pros of dogs, you know, they're, mm. they're quite fun to look at. Because they're so mellow. Uh, and, you know, you give them a little scritch and they're cool. But I don't go wild for them. And I think giving me the task of having to upkeep a dog for the entire lifespan of a dog, about 15 years, in the middle of a desert island with Eamon Holmes and Conor McGregor and, and <laughs> dad, lad baby, yeah. it would be ideal. But the worst animals are not dogs. The worst animals are crocodiles. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think your your example of a dog, I think I agree on basically all the same things as that. I think the problem is, you know, you, you'd you sort of have to clean up after it, but at the same time you're like, well, we're kind of on a wild island, so fuck it, or just go in the sand. But then <laughs> they shit so much that you'd still end up stand. you know, you'd still have to do something with the shit. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think they're problematic. But, yeah, a crocodile is just... I mean, even if you like or respect them, they are bastards. Like, you can't... There's no getting away from it. There's simply no need for something to be that much of a monster. Mm. Like, okay, you can have the big teeth and and the long snout and whatever, but you don't also have to be a long, gnarly lizard, you know? All right, you can have a really powerful tail, uh, but you don't have to really move that quickly over land that's not necessary mm. like oh you've only got one weak spot but it's on your stomach and you're far too heavy to flip over and you they don't need to do the death roll thing they can already kill you like so many different ways they don't need to grab you and roll around and thrash around like that and they're too mm. big they're too huge um, they're, too, they're monstrous they're horrible monsters we, we don't need that sort of thing and what are they for? Like, what's the point, food chain-wise? I'm not saying every animal has to justify itself by being a slot on the food chain. I, I'm not necessarily sure we do, but like, yeah. But I mean, know, do we really need crocodiles? What are crocodiles for? I don't know. Yeah, because they're they're right at the top. But I think they don't even a lot of sort of reptiles and amphibians like that don't eat that much. They'll kind of have something massive and then they're fine for a month or something. You know, and also they live in hot places, so it's not like if they didn't kill something and break it down, it wouldn't just like be instantly taken over by insects like i think stuff's going to break down all right without them yeah what what crocodiles adding you know what are they bringing yeah to the party i also feel like they're this weird thing that you know they're basically a dinosaur that's still around yeah so they must sort of know something you know but they sort of also seem you know i remember going to a zoo once in australia and the guy was doing a crocodile show and he was like oh, you know, like, you can't train them. All you can do is sort of, you know, I'm getting this reaction. If I go over here, it's going to jump out the water over there. That's all just instinct. There's, they're in, you will never train a crocodile to do anything. That, you know, so it's not like they're intelligent, but they've sort of, evolutionarily speaking, they must be really intelligent by just doing yeah. fuck all for a long time. They've survived, like... It's like them and what tortoises and some kinds of birds. Yeah, like... But I like... I fuck with tortoises. Tortoises are sick. They're great. But they're non-threatening. You can pick a tortoise yeah. up and flip it over. It's not going to mess with you. A crocodile, mm. is, it does not need to be that prowling and horrible. It's not necessary for us to have that, I don't believe. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're dangerous, they're sneaky, they're fast yep. when they want to be. At some point, Connor's going to try and wrestle one exactly. just to, you know, then you've got to fucking wrestle him to yeah. get him off it, or like, who do you save? Fucking lad babies throwing its sausage rolls from our stash and just, yeah. just going like yeah. that. Eamon Holmes has already lost his legs to the crocodiles. It's just, and now he's yeah. just stumps. It's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> we have to look after him. And he was already useless, and now we have to feed him with a coconut spoon. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's tricky. Yeah. Well, look, I think you've done a really good job at picking a horrendous habitat for yourself <laughs> yeah. to spend the rest of your day. So yeah. thank you very much, Joel, for doing that. Thank you. It was um, horrible. <laughs> now, at the minute, uh, as we record this, we're still in uh, lockdown. Um, but where's a good place for everyone to sort of keep up to date with what you're up to? Oh, um, the best place is just Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. That's where all the all the um, the news tends to drop, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I was not expecting that answer, that question rather. I don't know. <laughs> Twitter dot com. There you go. Twitter dot com. Yeah, yeah, I'll make a note and I'll, I'll have a look. <laughs> hey. I hear it's big these days. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> nice one. All right, Joel. Thanks a lot again for joining us on Desert Island Dicks today. No problem. Thanks for having me. first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com